We're going to have just a little introduction to the book of Matthew tonight, since that's what we have been reading in the last few days in our daily Bible reading. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, we'll read verses 9 through 13. We've done this through the last couple of books that we've been reading in our daily Bible reading. Just kind of a brief overview. Obviously, it's hard to to cover in great detail uh, everything that's in a book of the Bible in in 10 or 15 minutes. So we just kind of get a little brief idea of kind of what we'll be reading and maybe some things we can look for as we read in these new books of the Bible that we we come across. Many of which we've probably read in our life uh, on, on at least one or two occasions probably, most of us. So uh, but anyway, uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came as guests to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. (coughs) Father God, as we... As we talk about your word tonight, dear Lord, just this brief little snippet of text, and as we read along those who are, who are reading through the book of Matthew in the next, next few days, dear Lord God, that your word would speak to us, that we uh, see what's going on in your word, God, that we are able to see connections between uh, the Old Testament God and the New Testament and how you've made everything work together in just the right way, God, that you pointed everything to Jesus for these that we read about in your word tonight and in your Bible always, dear Lord, but also for us, dear Lord. We look back at all these things and we see how you fulfilled them, dear Lord, and so we, we, we want to grow in your word and learn what your word says, God. And so I pray that in these few minutes and any time that we read your word, whether it be here or on our our own, God, that the Holy Spirit would speak uh, to us, God, that we would just kind of understand your word a little better every time we read it. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Matthew. Here we have the introduction to Matthew and learn that Matthew is a tax collector. This is a fitting season for us to be talking about tax collectors, right? Because we're getting our taxes done and we hate to go and have to pay a bunch of money to a tax collector. Now, as much as we don't like having to pay taxes, paying taxes for those people back in the days of of when these scriptures were written were even worse. Of course, they had to pay their money. That's bad enough. That's what we have to do. But the problem with many tax collectors of the day was that they would cheat the people. As long as the Roman government got the amount that they were supposed to get, it was okay. So the tax collector may sometimes tack a little extra on to that. So tax collectors were not looked upon very favorably in this culture. I'm not going to say that they all were cheats. There might have been some honest ones there, but they had a bad reputation nonetheless because there were at least a few who did not do right. 
Now, Jesus here is the Savior of the world, the Son of God, who is going around and who is deciding what disciples, what followers he's going to have to follow him, that he is going to teach them, he is going to impart his wisdom on them, he is going to bring them up and get them ready to go out and do the work when he is gone. Of all the people that Jesus could have picked, one of the ones he picked was a tax collector. Now, I think that there's some, something that we need to realize there, something that we don't need to miss as we see these men that Jesus chose to be his followers, to be his disciples, is that they were kind of normal guys, right? They were fishermen, some of them. We have a tax collector here. And we need to realize that God can use all people. It's not, it, it's not a matter of how wealthy you are or how poor you are or how you look this way or you look that way or all of these things that sometimes we may like to, to, to lift people up a little higher because they may be in a, a position of power or they may hold a position or some job that we look at uh, more favorably than another. But we want to be careful as Christians not to do that. As Christians, we, we can see how the Holy Spirit works in people's lives. And it may be that there is a, a Christian who in the eyes of the world is lesser than. In the eyes of the world, they may hold a position that may, in our worldly standards, be considered lesser than. For example, one that we talked about in Sunday school Sunday morning. Uh, sometimes uh, you may be tempted to uh, give a position on a board or some position that's going to be empowered uh, to someone who is a doctor, let's say, instead of someone who is a maid at a hotel. After all, that's a lowly position. Surely they can't know much. And so in our world, we have a tendency to lift certain people in certain positions up. But in Christianity, we don't want to do that. We don't want to turn Christianity and the church into a business where we lift up those who are in the worldly eyes, uh, in higher positions of power. But as Christians, we want to put the one who is most spiritually mature and most led by God and the one is, who is going to do God's work the best into that position, whether they are the president of the United States or the man that sweeps the, the, the floors at night. And Jesus didn't go and pick those who were high in power. He didn't pick those who were in lofty positions. He didn't pick those who were wealthy and who were highly esteemed among the people uh, that, that were there in his day. Instead, he picked fishermen. He picked tax collectors. Boy, that is so Jesus. Like, that is so Jesus. Like, he's just totally opposite, generally, of what we as human beings think is, is the right way. Or what we would do. That was the problem with Jesus in his day. Is he was totally opposite of the culture of his day and, and what was going on there. And he picked a tax collector. Now it says here that Matthew was much like the other disciples. Jesus said to follow him and he got up and following him. And then right after this took place, here was Jesus at a table eating with other tax collectors and sinners. Of all people for Jesus to be eating with. Here was a man who had gotten the attention of those who had saw him, and here he was eating uh, with tax collectors and sinners. Uh, he, had, he had gotten their attention because he was preaching and teaching in a way that was totally different from what the world had seen up until this point. They knew that there was something special about him, but it didn't take long for them to realize that they didn't like him very much because of what he was saying. 
And because he was doing stuff like this, eating with sinners and with tax collectors. But isn't it interesting who Jesus chooses? Now, that's a good thing for us to realize as Christians who Jesus chooses. That should be, that's good news for us because we may not be in positions of great power uh, where we are looked upon as being great in the world's eyes, but God loves everyone equally. And the Holy Spirit can work as well in the, in the, in the doctor's uh, heart and life as he can in the street sweeper's heart and life. And here we have Matthew, a tax collector, who Jesus called to serve alongside him. And it is Matthew who wrote the book of Matthew. Now we also see the name Levi mentioned, but it's, it's, it's more than likely true that Levi was Matthew. Perhaps Jesus gave him that name later on. We don't see that, I don't believe, in the text anywhere. But perhaps it was similar to the same situation that we see with Saul, who was changed, his name was changed to Paul. Or, or we see uh, with, with Peter, his name was changed. Perhaps Jesus did the same thing with Matthew, and it just wasn't mentioned. But Matthew that we're talking about here, this tax collector, is undoubtedly the one who wrote the gospel uh, account here that we have. And each of these gospel accounts are a little different. There's only one gospel, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But each of these accounts that we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can kind of see a little bit the personality of the writer. You can kind of see a little bit the people that they are trying to reach because they focus on different areas. Some of them focus more on one area. Some of them focus more on another area. Uh, some of us give us some of them give us a lot of details in certain things, and others don't really give us as much detail in other things. Some uh, some of these books are long, and some of them are a little bit shorter. But each of these gospel accounts help to shape the big picture for us. Now, when we look at the book of Matthew, it's kind of bookended. If that, I don't know if bookended a word, but, but anyway, uh, on each end of the story, you have uh, Jesus' birth at the beginning, and then you have Jesus' death at the end, and then you have all of the things that Jesus does uh, in between there. But you'll notice, if you've been reading along, you already have noticed that in the beginning of Matthew, one of the first things we see is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That kind of sets the tone for us for how Matthew is going to be writing throughout the book of Matthew. He is going to be pointing people back to what the Old Testament says many times. There are more references to Old Testament scriptures in the book of Matthew than in any other gospel account. He quotes the Old Testament a lot. We see quotes from the prophets and things that, that went on in the Old Testament. And so that gives us a little bit of a clue, I think, as to who Matthew was talking to. If he's writing this type of language and he's going back to Israel's past, then he's probably writing to a group of people who would have known Israel's past. He's probably trying to help them to see what went on then and help them to realize that everything that was talked about in their past was pointing them to the Messiah. They knew that the Messiah was coming, and Matthew was trying to help them understand and realize that Jesus was that Messiah. Now, one thing that's of key importance to Israel's history is Moses. We know about Moses well because we've been studying Exodus for the last few months. 
And so we know about Moses, that God called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt and lead them into the promised land. And the people of Jesus' day and of Matthew's day would have known the story very well. But as most things we see in the Old Testament, Moses was pointing us forward to Jesus. The problem with many of the people of Jesus' day uh, were that they were too focused on Moses. They, they, they held Moses highly, which they should have, but they held Moses so highly that they were missing Jesus because of their, uh, their trust and their faith and their, uh, their, uh, their celebration of Moses and what Moses had done. And I think we see Matthew making that point and trying to help the people make that connection between Moses who was and Jesus who is to come. One of the things that we see about Moses is that Moses came out of Egypt. And we see the same thing with Jesus. You will notice very early on in the book of Matthew that as Herod is trying to take the life of Jesus, that the angel instructs them to go to Egypt for a little while. And then it says that Joseph and Mary uh, were told to bring Jesus and to come back out of Egypt just as the prophecy had said in the Old Testament. So here we have a connection. Moses came out of Egypt, and here Jesus was coming out of Egypt. We also have another connection that I don't believe is too much of a stretch. Maybe it is, but, 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 but we see Moses going through the Red Sea. We see Moses crossing through uh, the water. And we also have reference in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I think it was, we just covered this a few weeks ago, where it talks about that the people uh, and Moses uh, were baptized in the sea and in the cloud. We have that same language of, of baptism there. While it's not quite the same as what we see in the New Testament, that reference and that connection, it seems like there's some, something there between those two. We have Moses who had passed through the water. And then early on in the Gospel of Matthew, we have Jesus who had been baptized. And so we see another connection there that perhaps is making more sense to the people of Matthew's day maybe than it would for us. We probably don't get too carried away and caught up in, in looking at Moses and putting too much emphasis on Moses because, after all, we have the whole picture. We've read the book. We understand who Jesus is, hopefully. And so we don't put as much emphasis on Moses. But if we place ourselves back where these people were, when up until this point, Moses was it. He was the guy that, that, that led the people out, that they had been studying. He wrote the first five books of the Bible that the people would have studied uh, and, and known very well the Jewish people of the day. And here, Matthew is trying to point them to the Savior who has finally come, but they are sometimes wanting to get hung up on Moses. And so it may be hard for us to fully appreciate what was going on there, but if we put ourselves in their situation, we may understand why Matthew was having to maybe make some connections and point out things that they may have been missing. Another thing that we see that may be a good reference to call the people back to Moses was that Moses and the Israelites had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. If you remember, if you've read the story, uh, they sent some, some Israelites, uh, sent a few guys in there to, to look at the promised land to see what it looked like. And when they came back, most of them gave a report and said, oh, we can't go there. There's giants over there. We, we didn't come all this way and we can't go into the promised land. We'll, we'll never make it. 
Now, there was two who were faithful, and that was Joshua and that was Caleb. And you can uh, read about that, I believe, in Numbers chapter 32. Don't hold me to that chapter, but I believe that's where you can see that story. And I'd encourage you to go read it. But, but it was in that moment that because of their un, uh, uh, lack of trust, we could say, in the Lord, uh, that they were to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And then early on in Jesus' ministry, we see that he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. Now, it's not 40 years, but the, 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 the significance there of the similarities between the two things of what Moses did and what Jesus did probably caught the attention of the audience that was hearing it. These are things that probably catch our attention. We probably have some dots that are connecting and saying, okay, maybe there's some connection there. That's kind of similar to what we have seen in the Old Testament. And so all of these illustrations and examples that, uh, that Matthew is, is, is writing about and things that he is focusing on, I believe, are to help the people get from what was of old to point them toward what was new, and that is Jesus Christ. We also see with Moses that as he is uh, leading the people out of Egypt that he, uh, we're going to get to this in just a few weeks in Exodus, is that he is going to go up onto the mountain, mountain and he is going to receive the law from God. So Moses goes up onto the mountain. What an amazing experience that must have been to have been in the presence of God. And he receives the law. Now, when Jesus first starts out his ministry, after he's baptized, after he's in the wilderness... Then he begins to preach and teach the Sermon on the Mount. We find that in Matthew chapter 5, uh, 5 through 7. And guess where it says Jesus goes to give the law? It says in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus goes up on the mountain to, to speak to them. So Moses gets the law while he is on the mountain, but Jesus gives the law while he is on the mountain. Because if you read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus corrects some of their false teachings, things that they had misunderstood from the teachings of Moses. And Jesus will say things like, you have heard it said, that is, here's what you've been believing and, and maybe have gotten wrong in, in, in your interpretation of what Moses said. But then Jesus will say, but I tell you, Jesus wasn't giving them a new law. He was helping them to understand the current law that they had misunderstood, the intent of the law, the love that was supposed to come through the law. And so Jesus was trying to correct the people's wrong understanding. And Matthew, I believe, intentionally is pointing these things out at the very beginning of the book in the first few chapters. I think that we see these connections and, and, and contrast between Moses and between Jesus, uh, connections that the people, the Jewish people, probably got and probably got their minds, their gears turning, saying, okay. And then Matthew goes on to tell lots of things about Jesus. After the Sermon on the Mount, you will notice as you read through Matthew that Jesus does a lot of healing. There are, there's a large section there where it's a lot of healing that Jesus does to all types of people with all different needs, whether it's, it's a physical need or, a, or a, a, a demonic possession. Jesus does a lot of healing. We see that mentioned in Matthew. And that's not much different than the other Gospels, but he does focus on that for a little while. He also uh, focuses on the fact that Jesus hangs out with sinners, as we see in the verses that we read tonight. That Jesus didn't just uh, stick to a certain group of the religious people in the church, but instead Jesus uh, interacted with all people. 
He interacted with those who were in the synagogue, but he also interacted with those who were on the streets. He interacted with the religious, but he also interacted with the, with the prostitutes and those pesky old tax collectors. And so Jesus was about God's work. He wasn't making a distinction. He was trying to bring truth to all who needed to hear it, and that was everybody. Now, we also see uh, sections in Matthew where Jesus deals, I would say, harshly sometimes with the Pharisees as they come against him. They often come against him to try to trick him and try to call him out in public to, to make him look worse, but Jesus always ends up winning those debates. They can't quite trick him as good as they think that they could. And there are a few times where Jesus pretty much tells them what's what, and they don't want to hear it. Uh, Matthew 23, for example, woe to you, and Jesus goes through a lot of woes there that he's speaking to the people, things that they did not want to hear and things that sometimes we don't want to hear, but maybe we need to hear those things. And then Matthew covers a lot of parables, and particularly closer toward the end, you will see a lot of parables in the book of Matthew. Parables are good. It's 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 beautiful thing, the thing that Jesus is able to do with a parable, how he's able to teach the people with something so simple. Of course, he is Jesus. Sometimes I think, golly, why can't I come up with illustrations like that? And then I say, well, it's because I'm not Jesus. That's why. But Jesus makes things so simple and so beautiful and so easy to understand. And Matthew does a good job of pointing out those parables. And then Matthew closes the story with what we just celebrated and talked about a couple of weeks ago with Jesus's death and resurrection and ascension back into heaven and then closes there right toward the end with what we call the Great Commission. That is Jesus's command for us to go out into the world. So there's a lot of good stuff in Matthew. Maybe you're not following along with the yearly reading of the New Testament plan and if you're not that is okay. I understand everybody's busy but there's still a lot of good stuff in Matthew so you may want to give it a read sometime and just check it out. But one thing that Matthew points out here uh, in these verses, what Jesus says uh, in verse t uh, uh, 12 here, he says, But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do. Now that's a good verse. I quote that verse often, but it's a good reminder to us that we are sick, that we are sinners. And Jesus was not saying that there were some who were perfect, but there were some in Jesus' day who thought they were well, who didn't think that they were sinners. And Jesus says, he, he, he's saying, look, I've come to save those who want to hear the good news, who want to hear the message. It's not that Jesus was withholding the good news or the message from those, but he knew that there were some that were not going to accept it. But he was going to bring it to those sinners who wanted to hear it. And that's the same thing that Matthew covers at the end of the book when Jesus calls us to go into the world. He calls us to do the same thing that he was doing here. We take the gospel to everyone. There are some who will reject it. There were some who will accept it. But we don't want to pick favorites. We don't want to look at others more highly than others or some uh, lower than others. We want to love all people equally just as we see Jesus do, not only through the book of Matthew, but through all of Scripture. Let's pray. God, we come to you tonight and we thank you for these good words. And I pray that you help us as we read your word always, God, just to kind of understand how you're working in it, dear Lord, that we can uh, see why it's important, not just uh, to, the, to the people maybe that it was written to, but God, it's important to us. 
So help us to understand it when we read it, that we understand what's going on. But God, help the Holy Spirit to apply it to our life and our situations, dear Lord, so that it can uh, do a work for us. God, help us when we go out into the world that we be faithful to carry out the Great Commission and that we are faithful to do what you call us to do, that we would go and that we would love all people, dear Lord. God, there are some who, who, who aren't going to listen, but just give us patience with them. And God, don't let us get discouraged, but God, just lift us up tonight, encourage us, and help us to be excited about doing your work. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen.